0: There's a lot of farms, just speaking, not only in the United States but throughout the whole world. Protein from the air, protein from seaweeds,
1: protein from algae.
2: Right. So I think there's a lot of news coming out regarding meat and meat production plants that's not really positive. Right. Uh, let's get ready to rumble.
1: From Silicon Valley, the most innovative spot on earth. Corporate, the place for corporate executives that
3: transforms innovative threats into business opportunities. And now, let's get
1: ready to rumble with the host, Tommaso.
3: And we are live. First of all, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this. uh, virtual coffee. I often get the question, well, what is what is actually the virtual coffee? I re- simply reduced it to this. Virtual coffee is really getting together virtually, you know, and having a zip of a good coffee, you know, and um, as a Sicilian, I just had a, a zip of my morning espresso. Why morning? Because it's here streamed from uh, San Francisco. So good morning, through U.S. or wherever you're tuning in, you know, good afternoon or good evening uh, from around the, the globe. Virtual coffee is—we uh, are here in our in our second uh, season, uh, episode uh, three. We're talking about alternative uh, uh, protein, and we have uh, an amazing uh, lineup, jury, and and industry fellows joining us as panelists today to discuss this topic. I would like to start. Well, let's start with Elaine introducing you, um, Elaine. I'm very excited to have you here today, an expert and influencer in food industry with over 30 years and experience in a variety of sectors and categories from retail, grocery, and manufacturing industry. Elaine Simmer, thank you for uh, joining us. Um, I'm thank, excited
0: you. Have- thank you. Thank you very much.
3: And uh, welcome back uh, Navneet Deora, Dr. Navneet. Um, A pleasure to have you back here in our episode. Food engineer with a PhD from the Indian Institute and Technology, extensive experience as advisor um, for majority corporations in agriculture. Welcome back, Dr. Navneet. Thank you very much. Yeah, excited. Are you guys ready to uh, break down and to talk some uh, alternative protein? Yeah, sounds great awesome let's do this so let me do the following but let let's simply move ahead with our with our plants that we have so alternative protein the title it means a lot uh, we see that we have uh, a, a huge market demand a lot of things are changing, not only on the startup landscape, right, but also on the corporation side. Uh, we see that there is a demand coming in terms of behavior change from the consumer perspective, right. With this, we see a, a variety of innovation and in plant-based proteins such as soya, pea, um, also animal sources such as insects. We had a very interesting one um, last week here in our uh, in our episode, right. And it's really uh, evolving from functional replacement of meat and diary right to be a serious um, alternative uh, that approaches and, and that it curates and it focuses on taste it focuses on, on texture and, and aroma uh, compared really with with traditional food I would like to pick uh, your brain Navneet. and I would like to start with you from your perspective as a researcher and an advisor well, what is the future what does the future hold for innovation? Terms of uh, benefits in alternative proteins, what are your thoughts?
1: As you rightly told, this alternative protein space is expanding. So, my thought process is right now we are Maybe from a commercial point of view, we are looking at soy and tea as an alternative sources of protein, which could be sustainable. But once the demand peaks up, slowly, slowly, there would be enough requirement of more and more protein. So right now in this space, there's a gap of demand and supply. So we are not able to meet the demand of the consumer. And as the alternative protein space increases with time, let's say another next five years, we would need to generate different ways and means in which we can have more plant-based protein and that would drive the innovation for next five years. Let's say I was just speaking briefly about it. Let's say protein from the air, protein from seaweeds, protein from algae and technologies that can basically provide the right source of protein and meet the demands and how can we structurally meet the protein which resemble like meat. So of course once the demand of this, this industry space increases, definitely the innovation channel would increase and we need to find different ways and avenues in which we try to work out different sources of protein. Pea and soy are one of them, but apart from that, we need to look at bacteria. The fermentation holds the key basically. And apart from that, insect also holds the key. So in those areas, we need to work. Parallelly, we need a separate innovation in the area of technology. Right now, Let's say globally, we are working in a platform of extrusion technology to mass scale the product in sh- into the texturized form of protein, but we need to devise another ways and means in which we can texturize the protein in a different way. Let's say the top-down approach and bottom-up approach, both the approach should basically converge, make it a sustainable point of view. So this is something I feel would be important for the next five years.
3: Very interesting pr- perspective. Um, thank you for sharing that, uh, Namneet. Elaine, question to you How do the new startups in alternative protein scale their business, not only here in the States, but also abroad, considering this uh, huge increasing uh, demand? What are your thoughts on this, Elaine?
0: Well, you know, if you look at um, the successful companies and protein companies of history, and let's say uh, pork or beef or whatever, um, most of those companies have a vertical integration, meaning that they're from the grower or the farmer co-op to um, the finished good. And um, so if you look at alternative proteins, as far as whether they be grown uh, peas or, or uh, whey from milk, uh, that type of thing, you've got to go back to the farmer. And I think that when we talk about these type of things, we've got to somewhere include in there, what is the vertical integration going to look like within the industry? If the farmer doesn't know that it needs to be grown to be made or produced for the source, they are not going to invest the time or the venture capital into uh, developing the source. So, if we're looking at five years from now, needing you know, and there's probably analysts out there above um, my knowledge level that could analyze what the amount of volume would be need you know need to be done. There's a lot of farms, just speaking, not only in the United States but throughout the whole world that are looking for crops and forces that they can you know, be sustainable themselves and continue their family growth and history. So I think that we need to start with, um, okay, what is, what is the end product? I can help you with the end product. How, to, you know, how do we get it to market? But what we would really need to drill down with is where is the source gonna come from and who is gonna be involved in that and who are the people we need to reach out to to help make that happen?
3: I see. Very interesting point. Thank you for sharing this, Elaine. And uh, do you want to add something to that, Navneet, in order to, of, of distribution? Maybe your perspective on that?
1: Of course, the local policies has to be brought in with government initi- initiatives. Let's say I sit in India over here. So, the, of course, the, the government initiative, it should be the part of uh, minimum government programs as one of the top priorities. If you need mm. to scale up, like, let's looking in the future, There has to be a landscaping in terms of uh, which are the crops which the farmers can grow and which can definitely be of some commercial interest and we need to work basically systematically towards it. So it has to be included in the government policies. We need Mm -hmm. to engage more and more government officials so that and of course the the basically the group of farmers or the leaders working in the farming communities, those have to be involved and have to participate so that they can understand the commercial interest. And wherever there is a, uh, there is a more demand, so more, wherever more areas are there, there has to be an export and import policies. So different countries also has to merge together. So let's say I produce, uh, India produces X amount of quantity that is highest in the world. So there has to be kind of a demand supply so that we can globally meet, meet the demand of proteins. So it is synergy of different thought processes. But yes, government should be equal participant in our discussion.
3: Very interesting, very interesting, the governmental perspective. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for adding this. But now I would like to go back here to our panelists with the second round move on. And this time I would like to uh, start the second round with uh, Elaine. Elaine, the topic of uh, scaling slash distribution supply chain right, is a big challenge. What is the most effective way to get actually alternative protein products into the retail not only in the US and maybe also abroad. So, you know, production versus really placement. What are your thoughts on this? What do you want to share with your audience?
0: Well, obviously distribution comes from need. So the consumer drives the need for the you know supply chain in the sense of at the end of the day, it, where is it being sold or bought? So when, when we look at the ease of getting things into it, there's a lot of trade shows that are out there or were out there. There that uh, drove industry um, new items. One that is, uh, comes to mind is uh, the natural and organic show, uh, usually typically hold in Atlanta or in um, Anaheim in uh, March would be have a section in within their uh trade show that would um show and display all new product. and um a few years ago when i attended they had started with showing some of the alternate plant options and so forth so if you are targeting like uh, the frozen food or say that you have um, a alternative that's a freeze-dried product or a dry like cereal type format that would be an amazing show for you to attend. Or what will come of the future? Maybe it will be a Zoom type uh, round table meetings. I'm I'm hearing a lot of, out there about that, where you as a, a supplier would uh, attend and do like a conference with Costco, and you would sit at the table with Costco's buyers and present your product virtually through a round table format. But um, And then if you look at the meat alternative or the meat section, like say that you want to go after um, a burger or a sausage or, you know, that type of application, then you would want to do a similar thing within, you know, U.S. uh, meat alternative meetings. And one of those would be ECRM, uh, which is a company that presents roundtable meetings. And I'm sure that they're going to be coming um, more efficient in the zoom type of uh, conferencing and so forth. Um, I do have a conference coming up with um, one of the ECR directors just to kind of get some knowledge as to how the future of that's going to look
3: and this is very interesting because you're basically approaching and describing, let's say, the go-to market from an event perspective, from an association perspective, so which is almost a channel perspective, right? We've been encountering, especially startups that are big into direct marketing, meaning really from website to consumer, from e-commerce to consumer. What are your thoughts on on, on this?
0: I think that's a struggle somewhat um, that to get the mass amounts or mass volumes out there. If you look at the technology and maybe we can talk to this as far as the technology that the average consumer has and the ability to, I know that uh, the virus has a lot driven a lot of more people to using their internet and, and ordering system, but still the bulk of the amount of food Um, that's consumed in the United States is still done through the grocery store industry or, you know, or a market, you know, so maybe if you're a small startup, you might want to look at, of course, uh, regional markets, like within your community to just get started, to get some consumer uh, demand for it and then drive your business through that smaller market, you know, food markets, food chains and stuff like that.
3: Thank you, Elaine. Hey, Tony's in, yes. Tony, how are you? You had some uh, technical challenge, but I'm glad that you made it.
2: Huge technical challenges, but I made it through and I'm still alive, so I'm glad to be here, sorry. (laughs) That's awesome.
3: And uh, let me actually start and kick off things with you on uh, an actual question regarding COVID and the impact of COVID, right? Has COVID impacted your business, your alternative meat market, and um, what will come out of uh, this uh, pandemic? What are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, so first as a company, uh, we took quite a drastic measure. So actually uh, when uh, the lockdown was announced here in California, we, uh, so our startup, we have a two acre facility near San Diego and what we did is we bought a couple of rvs and we converted some of our meeting rooms into bedrooms so the team has been self-isolating on our facility for the past two months so that we can continue our work and can continue our operations so that that has helped us uh, help uh, helped us to stay sane and also move on with our r d pipeline as well as our operations then if you look at the industry I think, um, I don't know, to be honest, right? So I think there's a lot of news coming out regarding meat uh, and meat production plants that's not really positive, right? It just shows that there has been little investment in maintaining, let's say, a work-safe environment. But then again, like in the past two months, basically every item in the retail or in grocery stores has gone up significantly, right? So whether it's toilet paper, hand sanitizer, you name it, pasta, everything that's shelf-stable has gone through the roof. And also plant based alternative. The question whether is is that whether that's a sustainable increase or whether that's just a current spike. Eventually, no. longer term, I definitely really believe that we're going to move towards a more sustainable and healthier food supply chain. But yeah. I don't know whether the most recent numbers are representative of what it's going to look like in the next six to 12 months. It just shows you how fragile a food supply chain is overall and that there's definitely a need for improving the way we produce food and especially the way we produce protein.
3: Let me follow up on, the, on a question regarding uh, competition. I mean, alternative meat is, you know, there are the big players on the market, right? Uh, what is a, a crisp value proposition?
2: How do you differentiate towards the bigger, the bigger players? Well, what's, what's your take there, Tony? Uh, good question. So I think overall, biggest critique that let's say Impossible and Beyond Meat have received is uh, due to their ingredient label, right? So that there are a lot of ingredients on there that people are not familiar with, that yeah. some might argue are unhealthy. But then again, they add those ingredients not to make the ingredient label more complicated, but to create a delicious product that people like to eat, right? I think that's the first barrier to get over. And they, I think they're Successfully doing that. So, if you wanna, if you wanna be a neo entrant in the market and you can create a product that is as tasty as an Impossible meat, uh, Impossible Foods product or a Beyond Meat product, then with a cleaner ingredient label, then you definitely have a unique selling proposition.
0: I totally agree with that, Tony. My background is grocery retail and selling within the marketplace, and um, I actually have a format of about six years in the meat industry doing production. Of um, foods, and we uh, brought on some alternative lines during that time period. So at that manufacturing plant, um, and we saw you know the demand for it. And earlier, uh, I just want to say that you're very positive. You're right on um, the limited amount of ingredient. People don't trust things they don't understand. Um, if you have to go to Google the ingredient, then uh, you're not probably going to pick it up. Especially our millennials and you know younger than even that. They want to be able to understand what they're eating and totally know so like for instance if you pick up a protein shake and it's got all these different things on it but it uh, or it says peas spinach and pineapple what are you going to buy you're going to buy the you know because it's clean and you can understand the words that are within that so um, I challenge you. That's really phenomenal. If you guys are heading that direction, you're, you're right on. I, and I also want to comment back on the fact that uh, you said you didn't know if um, alternative is going to continue to grow. Before COVID happened in February, I was in the process of presenting to Safeway and Kroger um, large extensive opportunities in plant-based type uh, items. So um, using them in uh, salad production previous to um, COVID, I was working within a plant where we did home meal replacement and uh, processed salads. And what could we, we were Doing innovation on what could we do to add alternative protein to those ingredients. So if I were going to make a taco or southwestern salad, uh, instead of using beef, uh, if I could find an alternative uh, protein that would fit within that and tasty innovative and again of course if i'm making an organic or green salad i don't want something that has all these massive amounts of ingredients that i'm going to add to my label for the consumer right if you go yeah. in and you want to buy a salad you yeah. want to you know um, yeah, 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 yeah. be able to read everything yeah, right.
2: i agree so sorry to, sorry i like a small correction there so i do believe that plant-based meat and plant like I, I personally hate the term alternative because it's just basically the next generation of products right but let's say that plant-based meats plant-based dairy I, I do believe that they're continue to grow but I just don't know whether the most recent numbers that came out on let's say their sales in the past two to three months are going to re- be representative of how it's going to continue to grow in the next year but that it will grow is without a doubt and then coming back to the clean label ingredient overview of these plant-based food products it's a little bit of an unfair comparison as well to let's say their animal-based counterparts because in the end we feed a cow all kinds of antibiotics, vitamins, minerals and they have a digestive system that then converts those ingredients into meat right but they, a meat producer doesn't have to put on their labels what they've been feeding the cow.
3: Very good point. Well thank you so much Elaine, and thank you so much uh, Tony and Neat, let's switch gears towards uh Markets and market opportunity from a geographical perspective. Because you're in India, right? What's the market like in India for alternative protein or next-gen food? Maybe
1: I'll uh, maybe I'll talk specifically about the COVID crisis, and uh, so it has uh, it has brought in a shift in thought process. That it that is something I would always uh, say that this would drive the uh, entire market of plant-based protein. Let's say my, my dietary choices can have a meaningful environmental impact. So that is something that can drive the plant-based movement. In India, why there has been enough of spike in the plant-based movement is due to the fear. There is a fear basically of the use of animal and it can get transmission of the COVID viruses through animals. So there has been a bigger bigger threat in terms of a fear. That's why people are looking at uh, the plant-based options. So mm-hmm. one of the primary factors is this. But if you need to sustainably grow this as a as a business, then there has to be a fundamental change in the thought process. And that we can bring it by an awareness campaign. So once we have a very good product, that is something that sits parallelly. We should have the awareness campaign that will radically change the thought process. So it is. So we can change the food habits. So a thought process is changed Then entire community or entire family's thought process is changed. So that's how we can transform this industry. Even the work which Tony is doing basically in the area of uh, lemma Protein. I'm really fascinated and the way in which he's impact, impacting the environment and everything. I think this becomes an inspiration to others. I'm really happy to see his work. Well, thank you so much.
3: Navneed. Now we switch to um, start collecting two or three questions, depending on how much time we have uh, left from the audience. And I see here the first one coming in already. So um, right away for you, Tony, we have Lisa. Uh-huh. Oh, from uh, UC Berkeley, Um, so hi to uh, the Berkeley folks. Would you agree that some extent plant-based proteins require blending to provide a complete nutritional profile?
2: This is Lisa to Tony, Tony, please. If you look at what is currently available, yes. But then again, uh, let's say, uh, and that's why we're trying to differentiate. If you look at the food supply chain, and it has been like it is today for over a thousand of years. And the reason we've just, decided on specific crops because they were easy to grow and easy to harvest. And if you then look at what we're trying to uh, request from these crops today, so whether it's soybeans or whether it's peas or wheat or rice, I mean, they were never designed or chosen to be used as protein sources for plant-based meat or plant-based dairy, but they just happen to be available in bulk. I think there are substantial plant-based proteins out there in nature that haven't been commercialized yet that do have the nutritional values that animal-based proteins can offer you, but they just need to be explored and commercialized. Like yes to what's currently available, but no in general to what plant-based proteins or plant-based ingredients can offer.
3: Okay, so it's a yes for now, but not in general, basically moving forward. I see we have also here, yeah, we have actually a question here for Navnit. This is coming from San Jose Louis. Louis asks, what are sustainable proteins Question Mark, can sustainable food product uh, production scale to feed the world? Navneet, can it scale to feed the world? What is it actually? I, mean, I
1: would add to uh, have a sustainable protein for the world. We won't talk about only proteins. It's a whole lot of other factors that goes into a human nutrition. Purely focusing on proteins, We uh, can't live eating proteins throughout our uh, day life. So we need to basically have a food system that can bring in a whole lot of nutrition that has a balanced carbohydrate protein apart from all the micronutrients so of course that's that can be balanced but and any any of the agri- agriculture revolution that can basically limit the use of water limit the use of land has a lower impact factor in terms of environment that activities needs to be fostered as a part of global initiative to have food for the future of course it can it can encompass basically fermentation basically producing food from solar basically producing free, uh, food from the microorganisms, from algae, all sustainable crops that can use minimal water and basically ability to produce both nutrients apart from proteins, so that could lead to the future. We can, we can be better productive in terms of generating the future of food.
3: And we lost him.
2: Tony, you might want to take it uh, from here. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. No, I think it's it's absolutely scalable, right? Because if I would say it would, wouldn't be scalable, then what am I doing today? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, no, I think it's it, the problem is with building new, more sustainable supply chains is that it doesn't happen overnight, and it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg, right? So, if, if looking very selfishly, if you if you think about it, it, it first comes down to developing a product that consumers actually want. So whether it's a protein, whether it's a fiber, whether it's a fat. It's something that needs to be appeal to consumers, right? If it doesn't appeal to consumers, then you can still build something, but then there's just no market for it. Right. If you then find right. your target market, then you need to figure out are you going to expand your production capacity? But that's going to take time because it will require substantial investments in infrastructure and hardware, which, from if you're looking at a pure in investor perspective, isn't always as appealing as a consumer product, right? Because uh, the the time to bring it out, scale it up is much longer. It's a little bit, It can be riskier, but the payoff down the road can be much larger. I do think it's scalable. It depends on what kind of technology you use. Obviously, I think there's a lot of technology being developed right now that might have a longer, longer route to market to be scalable than others. But I think overall, You know, if you have a product that appeals to people uh, and you're able to sell it, then there should always be a way to scale your production process. Very good,
3: very good. I see one last question maybe for Elaine is coming in and this is the last one before we really wrap up things. Uh, This is, oh, East Coast is coming in Boston. Sophia is asking if in 30 years, we'll no longer need to kill any animals and all meat will either be clean or plant-based what are plant based or healthier? she's saying right thoughts on this and we can we can circulate the last questions maybe we'll start out uh, with you Elaine.
0: so what she, just to clarify the question again so in the future yeah. no uh, protein from animal source correct yeah mm mm-hmm. I I believe that that's a possibility. I I think that there is a future for that. And um, just back to like what Tony is saying is the infrastructure that's going to be need to be set within the world itself and in place within the farmers and the knowledge of growing and producing items. And if we can, I guess, approach this as a community, as a future of people that want sustainability within the food source, we need to turn to the farmer. We need to turn to the grower and the, and the producer and ask them to be a part of this because without them, that's never going to happen. Is there enough space of land space in the world? Uh, what about the oceans? Like, um, you know seaweed and those type of things um, how much consumable sources are those so i think as you look at universities and colleges and schools that are looking at innovation in the world's future for food coalition they all need to be brought into a summit a group of individuals with the knowledge is knowledge to um look at what it needs what, what we need to do within the next 30 years
3: awesome anything any anybody would like to add something to it in 30 years
2: yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I, 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 think it's definitely possible, right? So once again, it comes down like, and I think in CPG you have three critical factors, right? Which is taste, price, and access. Uh, so if we can create plant-based foods that are better tasting, healthier, and more affordable uh, and more accessible than their animal-based counterparts, it's definitely it's definitely feasible. And I think this will need to be driven by consumers, by investors, by companies, by entrepreneurs, but also by the government, right? Because the, the, the animal-based food sector is heavily subsidized and allowing them to offer foods at a very low cost. Clearly, their working environments are horrible with Uh, let's say employees being incredibly prone to diseases, making it cheaper to produce, whereas the new entrants in the market, they're under a microscope, right? They need to show that they're food safe, they need to be healthy, they need to be clean, everything. Whereas with that traditional food supply chain, nobody really cares because it's been there for ages. But if we can overcome those barriers, then definitely I see a huge opportunity for people to create more delicious and more affordable products. Because in the end, you know, you can actually decide how you're going to create that product. So it gives you the opportunity to design it in such a way that it's healthier, better tasting, and hopefully also down the road more affordable to their animal-based counterparts.
3: Awesome. Well, I could talk uh, for hours about this topic, but we are about to wrap up. I do have one final question, which wraps up so always our virtual coffee series. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, industry fellows, here, panelists, it goes into the topic of innovation and inspiration of innovation. Maybe we would like to start with ladies first. Elaine, where do you get? Um, what's your source? of inspiration, kind of a blog, a podcast, where you learn about on how to innovate? Maybe a very quick answer, a name on what it is. It's a blog, What what is
0: it? Actually, most of my innov- innovation comes from um, looking at the internet and looking at what top recipes are being enjoyed by restaurants. So I would look at the restaurant industry and see what's happening there. Uh, your chefs of the world can... Create unbelievable amount of product. How do you take that recipe and make it something that's sustainable?
3: Awesome. So innovations through a recipe, not meat. Uh, What's uh, what's your source of innovation?
1: So uh, I'm in the area of food. So I personally believe dietary choices have meaningful environmental impact. So that is what I see on my daily basis, and that drives me to do something meaningful in life. And if I can do it through the medium of food. That is something that I basically look forward to each and every day. Awesome. Is there any specific
3: source that you read that you're inspired by that you want to share here with the audience? If not, that's
1: okay. Of course, I follow, follow the basic uh, patterns globally, what's happening in Impossible Food, Beyond Meat. Yep. The founders of all those revolution, basically, I read more about it. I try to understand the thought process and that gives me an inspiration to work about.
3: Awesome. Tony, what's your inspiration for innovation?
2: Yeah, good question. So I try to read a couple of books per year, and they can be completely industry unrelated. So from different industries, so entrepreneurs, uh, politicians, whatsoever, and how they try to innovate in their specific sector, because I just want to understand the way they think, the way they approach stuff, and then I can see how I can apply that to my own. Environment. So, to say. so that's Anything, what I. Uh,
3: what's your most recent read that, uh, that, that you yeah,
2: So I just finished a book that's called How to Fill at Almost Everything and Still Win Big by Scott Adams. Highly recommended. It's a great read. And then now I'm uh, reading a book by uh, Chris Voss. It's called uh, Never Split the Difference. Uh, so he was a former FBI hostage negotiator. So he takes you through all his negotiations and his experience. I'm halfway through, but it's amazing. So also a big recommendation. Okay.
3: Well, awesome. Thank you for for sharing that. Elaine, Navneet and Tony, thanks for being here. We just uh, had an insight about innovation and what sources they inspire. And based uh, on, on this innovation uh, inspiration, I would like to finish with my Um, phrase with my sense with my motto that I learned to craft throughout the 20 years as an entrepreneur who switched eventually table and went into investments and academia which is the following never forget where you come from because it keeps you humble and that's important but there is a big but don't make your origins or where you come from limit where you want to go and with that I would like to thank you for participating thank you again bye 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 guys Thank you. you. Good night, Tomasa. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.